Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure that you're giving yourself the gift of self-love. Now, if you don't know what the gift of self-love is, it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. And it's now available in stores and online worldwide. Oh my goodness, I've been waiting to say that because I've been working on this book for years. I poured my heart and soul into it, compiling everything that I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is this book is a combination of me sharing my life story and everything that's helped me on this self-love journey, including body acceptance, and it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So every single thing that I share, you can put into practice right away. There are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. I'm holding it right here. It's right in front of me and it's absolutely gorgeous. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but we've nailed the design on this one. It makes such a wonderful gift both for yourself and for your loved ones. Perhaps you have a friend that could really use this message and that, you know, needs a little push, loving push in the right direction. And I think that this book is just a great gift. Hence, the gift of self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it today by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, that's maryscupoftea.com slash book and give yourself the gift of self-love. Hello, my self-lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Today, I want to do a hopefully short and sweet episode about the difference between thoughts versus feelings versus emotions. Now, the reason why it's so important to understand these distinctions, and if you're an avid listener of the podcast, you know that distinctions are what I live by because distinctions are what help you manage your mind. If you can better pinpoint what's going on inside your brain, then you can address it with self-compassion and self-love, and you can reach out for help and you know exactly what you need help with. Otherwise, you're kind of just fumbling and bumbling around, not really knowing what's going on in your mind and wondering why you feel so shitty. (laughs) So when I learned about the difference between thoughts and feelings and emotions, I decided that it was so important that I dedicated a whole chapter of it in the gift of self-love in my book. So it's in the self-talk section and it's actually the beginning of the self-talk section because your thoughts are basically your self-talk. What you think about yourself and what you feel about yourself is so related to what you tell yourself. I would actually argue that self-talk and the thoughts that you're thinking are one and the same. So you deal with your thoughts 24-7, and unless you're a pro-meditator Buddha person, then it's very hard to turn off your thoughts. 
What you can do, however, is slow down your thoughts. You can do meditative practices like journaling, breathing, running, yoga, art, anything that gets you into that flow state, which is essentially when you're focused on one thing and you're so into it that time seems to just almost stop and you're in this vortex of kind of bliss because your mind is not running rampant with negative thoughts. So your thoughts are essentially what you think. That's pretty self-explanatory. And even though you can't turn off your thoughts completely, you can manage them through better self-talk. And again, I have a whole chapter on self-talk in my book, The Gift of Self-Love. It is chapter seven, but I'm going to address it a little bit more in depth here because... I can go into little tangents and explain things on here, but my book is where all the tools are written down. And remember that it's also intertwined with a workbook. So you have journaling exercises and self-love challenges and all kinds of prompts and things to work on. So if you don't have the gift of self-love already, shameless self-promo, go get it. It's only like 16 bucks on Amazon. You can even check it out or request it at your library if that's uh, something that's out of your budget. But either way, find a way to get your hands on it and it would make me ultra happy. So anyways, one thing that's important to know about thoughts is that because they're running in the background 24-7, they're often almost subconscious. And usually when you catch yourself thinking is when your thoughts are conscious. But actually, they're just kind of like you're thinking, you're talking to yourself all the time. And it's important to remember that usually the first thought you think about something especially if it's something negative and icky and just unsupportive of your self-love, that first thought, so things like, oh, I look so fat in this swimsuit or whatever, that is usually the thought of societal conditioning. And it's simply been ingrained and repeated in your mind for so long that it's just a habit. So I no longer beat myself up over the first things that pop into my mind, because all of us have some level of societal conditioning, some level of toxic beliefs that we've just, again, been forced to think for so long that they almost come automatically. However, the thought that you think after that initial thought, that's where you have a lot of power and control and autonomy And I think that's actually what matters the most. What you tell yourself after that initial toxic thought is going to change the trajectory and you're either going to spiral deeper into negative thinking if you fail to self-talk your way through accordingly, or you are going to redirect your mind and what you're thinking. And you're going to try to create more empowering thoughts, even if you just start with a neutral thought. So for example, if your first thought is, I look so fat in this swimsuit, I shouldn't go to the pool party. That's kind of like 
diet culture, right? And fat phobia and none of these things that are authentically you. You were not born with this thought. You were born with unconditional self-love. You were born with peace in your body. You were born with just freedom in your mind. So the follow-up thought that you can tell yourself when you feel that toxicity come up is something like, fat is not a bad thing to be. Even if I do look fat, I am still worthy of going to the pool party. I am beautiful regardless. I am so much more than my looks. I don't even have to be beautiful to go to the pool party and enjoy my life because I deserve to enjoy my life no matter what I look like. So something like that, when your follow-up thoughts are of that nature, even if they feel a little bit forced at first, you're just practicing self-talk. And eventually it might take years because think about how long you've been thinking the old thoughts. It will take some time to rewire your brain and start thinking these new thoughts more effortlessly. But the more you practice, the easier it gets. And on the flip side, if we don't have the strength or capacity or tools to rewire our thoughts and change them, we can also spiral into a negative thought pattern. And negative thought patterns are essentially when you just continue thinking those toxic things and they just spiral out of control and they are super disempowering and they can bring up or lead to certain feelings, feelings of anxiety and shame and unworthiness and just so many negative, unpleasant feelings. So feelings are essentially a somatic experience of your thoughts. And what do I mean by somatic is basically like in the body. Somatic means like related to the body. So when you go down a negative thought spiral and suddenly you have a pit in your stomach and a lump in your throat and you're feeling sweaty and panicky, that is a feeling, an experience of anxiety. And it's very interlinked to the body. Of course, there's lots of things going on in the mind, but the things going on in the mind are thoughts. Or if you struggle with some kind of mental health condition, then it could be a chemical imbalance, which is obviously chemical. So, sorry, I just hiccuped because I took a dramatic sip of tea and didn't swallow it all the way. But just full disclosure, I'm not a psychologist. This is just based on research and kind of how I feel the experience. So if yours is different or if a medical professional explained it to you differently and that better resonates, then totally cool. Go with that. This is my interpretation of it. So thoughts, if they spiral out of control, they create a somatic experience, something you're feeling in the body, and then you start feeling it. So for example, if you think I'm not a good enough girlfriend or partner to my significant other, then it might bring up feelings of unworthiness. When you start feeling it more in the body, or maybe you even have a reaction like, crying or difficulty breathing, things like that. That's when it turns from just a thought of like, I'm not good enough. And a thought that can be changed or rewired a different direction. It can also lead to a feeling of unworthiness and shame and, and just overall sadness. 
But you can also stop these feelings from coming up and creating different feelings, a different somatic experience in the body. I know that's repetitive. Somatic means in the body, but I just want to make sure that we all know what somatic means because I recently learned that word and I think it's such a great word and I geek out when I find a new word that perfectly explains what I'm trying to say. But for the sake of clarity, somatic means in the body. You can also, once you rewire your thoughts and you choose different thoughts, you can create a different somatic experience in the body. For example, if your first thought is, I'm not good enough, and instead you say, no, I am good enough for my partner because I do my best, I care a lot, and if they were unhappy, we would talk about it. So stop making shit up, brain. You're perfect. I love you. (laughs) If you know how to self-talk your way through the thoughts of like, I'm not good enough, then you can create a different somatic, psychosomatic experience. And that experience can be more of like relief or happiness or joy or, you know, when you just feel calm, that is also a feeling. Calm is a feeling. It's when you're, when your body, your mind, your soul are, are kind of at rest or happiness or joy. That is also a feeling. It's when your body just feels that every cell in your being feels that. So essentially thoughts lead to feelings. And usually it's a lot easier to control your thoughts than it is to control your feelings. A little note here that every feeling is valid and every feeling is worthy of being fully experienced. So just because you have a negative, quote unquote, negative feeling, it's not necessarily negative. It just may be unpleasant. Maybe I should use that to better explain myself because crying is not negative. It's not bad. It just might be unpleasant when the crying is resulting from feeling shame or blame or sadness. And if that happens too often and it's getting in the way of your life and you want to learn a different direction and how to better manage your thoughts and your mind and create different feelings in the body, then all these tools are available to you. But that doesn't mean that we should avoid our feelings. I feel like that was all jumbled up, but I think you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So if you have certain unpleasant feelings they're generally coming from a series of unsupportive thoughts or a thought pattern. Also, another note, sometimes it's easy to confuse thoughts and feelings because in our everyday language, I've noticed that we say things like, I feel like, and then we'll fill in the blank with something that's completely not a feeling. Like we'll be like, I feel like that person doesn't like me. That person doesn't like me is not a feeling that's actually a thought. So I know it's a little confusing, but when you catch yourself talking in your mind, when you catch yourself talk, or even if you're talking out loud and you're saying things like, I feel like, and if the word like is in there, then those are usually thoughts, not feelings. And again, the reason why that's important, and I actually learned this through therapy, if my therapist says, how do you feel about that? I know, so cliche. (laughs) If she says, how do you feel about that? And I say something like, I feel like my mom is mad at me. And my therapist will reply, like my mom is mad at me is not a feeling. What feelings does that bring up? That's a thought. And the feelings that it brings up is like abandonment, unworthiness, 
shame. Again, going back to the shame because it's just such a common, heavy feeling. Those are feelings. And again, in therapy, they will force you to describe those feelings because a lot of times we avoid confronting what we're actually feeling because we just kind of cover it up with these thoughts and we try to justify and reason it and tell ourselves that it's not so bad and be really casual about it when really those big, deep feelings need to be dealt with. And the first way that we deal with them is by admitting that I feel abandoned by my mother instead of, I feel like my mom is always mad at me. So I hope that makes a little bit more sense. Again, I highly recommend working with a counselor or a therapist to better dissect all of this and process through it and just have somebody there to support you through this process. And you know that I'm a huge proponent of BetterHelp, which is an online therapy platform. I've actually been using it myself for over a year and a half now, and it's helped tremendously. And I became an affiliate for BetterHelp only because it offers my followers and my listeners a two-week free trial, which is currently the best deal out there with BetterHelp. They have some like $20 off coupons floating around, but in two weeks, you could actually do two sample trial sessions with a therapist or It could start the process of finding a therapist that's a good fit for you, and you'll have a two-week free trial, so you won't be paying until two weeks later. So if you do want to start therapy and you're looking for something affordable and accessible and online from the comfort of your own home, you can go to betterhelp.com slash M-C-O-T for Mary's cup of tea betterhelp.com slash mcot. That is my affiliate link that will give you a two-week free trial to therapy. And I'll also put that in the show notes description thing. So hopefully you can easily click on it. So anyways, going back to the difference between thoughts and feelings, and now talking about emotions, emotions are also a little bit different than feelings, although feelings can lead to emotions. Emotions are more subconscious, meaning you can feel certain emotions without even realizing that they're there. According to psychologists, feelings are a conscious experience, whereas emotions can either be conscious or subconscious or unconscious. I'm actually not quite sure on the difference between subconscious and unconscious. I will look that up after I'm done recording. But basically, Emotions you can experience realizing they're there, or they could be so underlying and so subliminal that you don't even realize that you're experiencing them. So for example, if you're feeling angry at your best friend because she didn't text you back, but meanwhile, she's posting on Instagram, that's kind of a feeling, right? But if that happens so many times throughout your friendship and every time you're feeling angry with her and upset and just put on the back burner, then over time, it's probably going to bring up emotions of resentment and feeling abandoned. And it might build up to a point where you're kind of always feeling this way when thinking about the dynamic between you and your friend. So that is an emotion. It's essentially when the feelings just happen so often and they're so deeply ingrained and deeply rooted that they almost become unconscious or like 
constantly there without you even realizing it. Here's a personal example. Feeling abandoned by my dad is an emotion because it's always kind of there. At the time of this recording, my dad has fallen off the face of the earth and hasn't called me in two months. And I have no idea if he's alive or dead because he lives in Russia and I haven't heard anything from him. And granted, if this was the first time this happened, then I would probably have a lot of feelings of worry. And although I do have a lot of feelings of worry, like obviously I'm worried about him and his health. He's a little bit older and he's so far away and the corona and I I don't even know what's going on there. Yes, I'm worried, but also it's bringing up a lot of emotions of abandonment because he's done this so many times throughout my life. Even as a kid, my dad would just stop calling me for like six, seven months on end, and I would have no idea where he is or what happened to him, no way of contacting him, don't have his phone number, or go straight to voicemail. And it's just like an abandonment for an extended amount of time. And then he bounces back in my life like nothing happened with all the sorries and, and guiltiness or whatever. But it just happens all over again. At this point, we're averaging out about once a year, he falls off the face of the earth for an extended amount of time. So this is obviously an emotional experience for me. And I always feel this sense of abandonment when it comes to my dad, because I mean, aside from falling off the face of the earth, there's other things. And to work through it, I have to do a fuck ton of therapy and work to constantly remind myself that my dad loves me in his own weird way. And it's not personal. It's not that he abandoned me personally. It's that he's dealing with his own mental health stuff and he doesn't know how to be a stable father to me. And again, it has nothing to do with me or the things that I did or did not do and everything to do with him and his capacity to parent and love and be a stable parental figure. So this, I hope, serves as a good example because abandonment is usually not a feeling. I mean, it can be in like a slight way if it happens once, but generally when we're talking about parent stuff and childhood trauma and all these things that have built up over time as we've grown up during our prime developmental years, a lot of these feelings are actually emotions because they're deeply ingrained. They're difficult to overcome. They're kind of always there subconsciously in the background. And I might, and you might even have this emotion to some extent for the rest of your life. That's not to scare you, but that's just to kind of show you the reality that there's no such thing as quote unquote healed. We're just always in this process of digging through them and uncovering things and learning new ways to deal with them and hopefully reduce that extent that these emotions are controlling our lives. I know that was really deep, but hopefully it was helpful. And to bring it all back full circle, Feelings can often bring up emotions and emotions can often trigger certain thought patterns. So it's almost kind of this cyclical reaction in my book. I have a little doodle that has like a cyclical view of like thoughts lead to feelings and feelings lead to emotions. 
and emotions can lead back to thoughts. Here's just one last example to better illustrate this cycle, and I'm going to read it straight from my book. That way it's clear and concise, because otherwise I will go off on a tangent. For example, if you constantly think negatively about your body, then those thoughts will transform into negative feelings about your body. They will also trickle into other areas of your life, such as how comfortable you are voicing your opinion, how confident you feel taking on new challenges or projects, how worthy you feel of love. Over time, these feelings will transform into emotions, which are more permanent and a lot harder to work through. The more negative emotions you feel over time, the more negative your thinking becomes in an endless vicious cycle. So the goal is to break this vicious cycle, and the easiest way to break this vicious cycle is not by resisting feelings, not by trying to not deal with your emotions, but actually by rewiring your thoughts, by working on your self-talk, by telling yourself different things that will drag you out of that cycle and that will break it. Again, you might experience this cycle every so often because it's a pattern, it's a habit. You've been doing it for so long and it's going to take a little bit of work to undo it. But through self-talk, through these reminders, through doing things like reading books and listening to podcasts and going to therapy and counseling and talking through your feelings with people you trust. And there's also other healing modalities such as breath work and coaching and plant medicine and ancestral trauma and astrology and a lot of things that are out there in esoteric, past life regressions, healing circles, microdosing, so many things that I dabble in, I am interested in, but I won't get into this because it's so outside of my scope. But all of these healing tools, especially working with a licensed professional therapist, somebody who is actually very, very educated and can hold this space for you, this is how you break this cycle. They don't call it talk therapy for no reason. It might even be more fitting to call it self-talk therapy because what happens in therapy is you talk through these thoughts, feelings, and emotions so often in so many different ways that you eventually see a new perspective, a new light, a new way of just thinking about these things. And it's going to get to a point where you're going to hear your therapist's voice in your mind, and you're going to be able to talk yourself through difficult times by almost pretending like you're having this dialogue with your therapist without them actually being there. And that's because they're employing you with the tools to overcome these challenges on your own, but your therapist just kind of lives inside your head, but your therapist is actually a higher version of you, a more aware and experienced and knowledgeable and just full of self-love version of you that's supporting the version of you that's struggling. It's super duper cool. It's the biggest breakthrough that I've had in therapy and the biggest lifelong tool that I'm going to be using. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Whenever you're ready, get some support, get some help, even if somebody's there just to kind of listen to you and be your friend, a sounding board and a professional sounding board. They're not your friend, but they are somebody who just knows how to do this, how to deal with this. That is just, 
I wish every single human can have a therapist. I wish it was like a birthright. Like everybody gets a therapist from the day they turn 13 or something like that. How cool would that be? Anyways, I know it's not accessible and affordable and feasible for a lot of people. But again, I do have this code for BetterHelp. If you want to try it out, it's betterhelp.com slash M-C-O-T. There for you whenever you're ready. And that is all I have for you today. Get my book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's full of tools and journal practices and workbook exercises and self-love challenges, all of which will help you on your journey to self-love. I hope you enjoyed this episode and let me know what your biggest takeaway was by screenshotting and tagging me in your Instagram stories. I love you. Talk to you soon. One last thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave a short review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Your feedback helps the show so, so much. I absolutely love hearing from you. And as somebody whose love language is words of affirmation, your words mean the world to me. Just go to the Apple Podcasts app and scroll all the way down until you see the review section. And from there, you can just tap the star thing and leave your own review. Thank you so much for supporting me and this greater message of self-love for all. Also, feel free to send this episode to a friend and spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just head to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and you'll find all the links to give yourself the gift of self-love. I love you all so, so much, and I will talk to you next time. Mwah.